This is Brian Jodis, and you're listening to the PEFNC Podcast. Today, Mike Long is joined by Andrew Harris, the Chief Executive Officer for Northeast Academy for Aerospace and Advanced Technologies. They're talking about how their school has leveraged remote learning. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Mike Long, President of Parents for Educational Freedom here in North Carolina. We are going through some trying times right now with coronavirus having shut down our businesses, our schools, our towns, our country, literally the world. But yet life must go on, and especially in the field of education. And so right now we are talking to different school leaders who are telling us what they're doing and how they're adapting to the situation right now. And uh, with us today, we have Andrew Harris, who is the head of Northeast Academy in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Andrew, we're very glad you could join us today during these uh, challenging times. Uh, Tell us a little bit, first of all, about Northeast Academy, uh, not necessarily related to the pandemic that we're dealing with, but uh, Northeast Academy uh, uh, itself. Sure, so we opened about five years ago as a uh, at that time, grades 8 and 9, with the intent of scaling to grades 6 through 12. Uh, we were the first and only uh, public charter school located on a, a public university campus here in North Carolina. We've been on the campus of Elizabeth City State University since we opened, um, and we scaled now to almost 600 students in grades 6 through 12, and uh, next year we'll add a fifth grade. Uh, our focus is on Uh, really preparing students for STEM careers. We have specialized coursework uh, around aerospace and aviation, uh, some more, uh, some other courses in in the IT area. Um, But really, we hope all graduates will will leave me well prepared for the workforce. So we offer them um, access to college and university courses as early as the ninth grade. Uh, Many will graduate from high school with a two-year degree, uh, perhaps even a certification. They also will complete, hopefully, an internship with a local employer of at least 160 hours and will contribute at least 200 hours of service to our community. Last year, we had our first graduating class. Uh, About a third graduated with a two-year degree at high school graduation. Two-thirds graduated with at least one year of college credit. Uh, Just over half had completed a full internship locally, and 100%, all of our students had contributed at least 200 hours of service to our community. So uh, for first graduating class, they set the bar high, and uh, we hope to, to build on that legacy. Well, congratulations. That's a, a great testimony in what you're doing and accomplishing there through uh, a public charter school. Tell me this, uh, now that we're closed, here we are in the middle of March 2020. Uh, we're all closed down. Uh, were you prepared at all for this in any way? And uh, if so, or if not, how are you adapting to the situation? Well, we've always been a, a one-to-one school. Every child at NEAT um, is issued a, a Chromebook computer on the first day of school, and uh, they turn it back in sometimes on the last day. Uh, other students may keep it over the summer for, for coursework or different things. But um, we, uh, as a result of being on the university campus, have been housed in a few different buildings. And during our second year of operation, we experienced two tropical storms, hurricanes, within just a few weeks of one another, mm-hmm. and we were actually displaced. And so uh, we physically had nowhere we could hold school uh, for a, a few days. And so we had worked since 
uh, we were in the design cycle of this school to develop what it would take for anytime, anywhere learning. We wanted to make sure that uh, we could have students out in the field collecting data, sending it back to teams across the, the nine counties we serve, uh, and collaborating in, in real time on teams. And so we started from the very outset thinking about how we would develop an environment such that our students could do that. Uh, when we were displaced in year two and we couldn't hold uh, school physically, uh, we decided, you know what, we've, we've spent some time on this, let's go for it. And we did. And we developed uh, something that at that time uh, we called remote learning, which of course right now is everywhere. Uh, but at that time there was no precedent for it. And so um, we were looking through research and through articles that uh, really surfaced the idea that a lot of the workforce of the future will involve remote workers or the, the need for remote working skills. And so we decided that we would go with the phrase remote learning. And for each day we had that type of environment for our school, we would develop a protocol, a set of instructions that students and staff would follow. And so um, since that time, we've sort of refined the processes. And every year we have somewhere around 10 and 20 uh, RLP days, remote learning protocol days. And um, it's been really uh, helpful for us to have that as a strategy across multiple fronts. I mean, we serve nine different counties in the northeastern part of North Carolina, and the weather can be quite different uh, for the westernmost area to the easternmost. And so um, there's a safety issue some days that we um, sort of uh, uh, come to terms with through RLP. So we never want to risk student safety. There's a lot of flooding that occurs in our area, very flat, a flat area. And so um, anyway, RLPs were a great strategy uh, that we could implement at any time so that we were never bounded by place, often by time. Uh, we can we can hold school anytime anywhere and so we've we've been really preparing for a moment like this for some time uh, there were quite a few differences uh, in this instance of remote learning just because of the extended nature that we're facing now typically a remote learning day would be a day sandwiched between two typical instructional days or maybe two days back to back and then we'd be back in school. Uh, when we set out in, in this instance, we knew that we would be in a remote learning environment for weeks at a time, not, not just a few days. And so we, we came together as a, a team of teams and, and talked about for each age group um, what types of structures we would need in place to monitor student attendance, how we would put together the logistics of managing devices across nine districts if there's an issue with you know, a device being damaged or, or whatnot. Uh, we trained staff around digital tools that we had used in, in spurts and, and different um, in, in lower numbers before, but we developed the training for the full team so that we really could make RLP something that is interactive. So now we're at a point where um, our students are getting feedback every day in every class. Uh, we've conducted town halls so that students help us shape the best protocols possible. So students really are taking the lead in the design of what this remote learning environment uh, looks and feels like. Um, it's, not, it's not digital worksheets. Uh, students are working in teams. 
There's interactive video going on uh, throughout the day. And for students that don't have internet access, we have a system of flash drive exchanges that we've put together. Uh, and so um, it's really worked well. Uh, we often heard a few weeks ago uh, the idea that we would there would be struggles with supporting students with special needs. Uh, we have a caseload of about 50 students with uh, special needs and, and then another 40 who would be uh, who also have have the need for accommodations that are served under Section 504. And so we have put in place structures to meet those students' IEPs. So they're being served, they're being served well, with a combination of, of telephone, of face-to-face -face interactive tools like we're using right now, um, and some other strategies. So, um, so we've been well prepared and, you know, we stand behind the quality of instruction that's taking place right now for our students. And it's just an exciting time. All I can say is, wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, you were, you were kind of pushed into this uh, by two hurricanes. Uh, you really had no choice at the time, and yet you were able to, to be innovative enough, even during those kinds of disasters, to, to put the tools in place. I love the concept of this remote learning, regional remote learning. And, and you have put that together. Do, do you, did you find that during the process as a public charter school and a lot of the independence that you have as a charter school uh, that, that, that gave you some advantages or disadvantages uh, to be able to uh, continue to operate and head on this path? Sure, I, I think uh, our status as a public charter school uh, definitely is a piece of this puzzle. I mean, we're, we're able to, um, we have the flexibility to innovate in ways that a traditional district uh, may not be able to do. At the same time, we're quite resource challenged. I mean, just from uh, the capital funding, capital outlay, uh, sort of the, the uneven funding uh, that we're dealing with, um, layered on top of uh, just some, some unique challenges with the small staff and, and that kind of thing, you know, not a, not a 15-person IT team. You know, the first time we did this, we had an IT team of one. And uh, so we've, we've slowly grown the critical systems, but uh, charter school status, the flexibility we have around personnel, uh, school calendar, uh, curriculum, really enabled us to accelerate development of remote learning uh, in a way that really would be um, would be a little more difficult through another school model. So uh, in previous experience, I worked with an, an organization that was tasked with designing innovative schools, uh, designing uh, programs that were, were quite different. And uh, through that experience, it's immediately uh, apparent that the flexibility that charter schools have is absolutely vital. Um, and enabled us to, to accelerate this process. I mean, the, the kinds of support systems we have in place would have taken a decade or more in a traditional school district. Mm -hmm. um, but because of, of the flexibility we have, you know, in, in just uh, four years actually of implementation, we've gone from, hey, let's try this and see what it's like to um, sound metrics for, for things like daily attendance, quality of instruction. We're doing virtual PLCs, PLTs with our, our teams, uh, looking at student data, what does multi-tiered systems or student supports look like in this environment? Uh, so it's, it's taken on um, 
really a, a, a life, I won't say a life of its own, but it's become um, just a seamless part of what we do. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, without that flexibility, there's no way we would have, we would have developed. In, so in considering the, the, uh, the, the lack of resources comparable to traditional public schools, the flexibility has allowed you to accomplish an incredible innovative goals in place for this regional remote learning that is truly making all the difference. Do you see this type of learning growing uh, uh, or expanding or what, what do you think, what do you see as the future of this once this coronavirus is over, once everything is back to normal? Uh, what have you learned from this that may carry on even further into the future for your school? Well, I think for education in general, it has uh, created a huge spotlight on some inequities we already knew were in existence around connectivity, particularly in, in rural areas. Right. Um, but, you know, now it has definitely made, uh, brought those things to the forefront. I mean, it's, it's critical. It's not a, a a service or um, you know a accessibility is not something that um, would be nice to have. I mean, it, it is a, an absolute now for uh, many different things, but definitely for education. Um, and I, I see the future of this model. You know, we used to talk about the need for students to develop 21st century skills, and well into this century, we're still talking about that. Um, but it's it's more than just collaboration creative thinking, communication. Um, it's really being able to work across multiple geographies, across cultures um, mm -hmm. to accomplish things. I mean, not every job is going to require that, but increasingly more will. And so we need to think differently um, and carefully about the types of skills we cultivate as students. So can you manage a project uh, in real time across geographies with uh, people who have very different backgrounds um, to accomplish, you know, set goals. And that, that's something we focus on here with students as, as, you know, young as fifth grade. I mean, they're working in teams, they're managing projects, they're assigning tasks. Um, and that's what the future of work is going to require. So as educators, we need to really strongly consider what remote learning offers for uh, professional and employability skills development. Um, you know, one of the, the ways that we've used remote learning is to, um, have students take advantage of place-based activities across our region and then to collaborate based on that. So we've had grade levels who have had some students in, in this county and some students in this county and some students over here. And they're collaborating in real time. Uh, think about the when we had the hurricane and New Bern was so devastated. Mm -hmm. We bust all of our high school students to go do a service project down in New Bern. As a part of that, they thought about what does true devastation look like and how would we manage that here locally. Our middle graders were doing water quality tests with uh, local government agencies in three counties at the same time. So this remote learning was happening. Students were collaborating not just across geographies, but across grade levels. Um, that's, that is absolute engagement and true learning. Um, and it takes a very talented team and a creative team and a, telling, a team willing to take risks to be able to do that. Uh, so it's not it's not really the technology; it's the people behind it. Sure. Um, but when it all comes together, you can really um, accomplish great things for students. 
One more question from me, and then we have uh, Brian Jodis, our vice president here at uh, Parents for Educational Freedom, would like for him to join the conversation as well. Uh, give me a little bit about parents' reactions to what you're doing. Uh, uh, what is their response for what you're going through right now and how you're handling it? Uh, initially, when parents first come to me, uh, they see remote learning as a way to get rid of snow days. <laughs> So no more snow days at NEAT, you know, where they're always, and it's just a cool thing. Mm -hmm. um, over time, they, they realize that, um, you know, there are these sets of tools that they themselves may need to become more familiar with. They realize that this is not um, a lightweight version of school. I mean, we're, we're offering rigorous instruction, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, there is an expectation of, of students to, participate and to show some independence, even as early as sixth grade. And so uh, we start before students even enroll with parent education nights, and we do that throughout the year so that parents become more familiar with the, the tools and the systems that we're using so that they can offer support. Um, and we practice this remote learning environment during the regular school day within the first few weeks of school. So even students who are new to NEAT um, have an opportunity to, to pressure test the tool to get familiar with this type of teaching and learning um, when they first arrive so that when we do actually go remote, it's not something that happens for the first time. Students and their parents are already well aware of what these processes, what these protocols are, um, what they look like, uh, and so, you know, they're able to, to support. Um, parents, by and large, have been very supportive of a remote learning environment because they understand the impact this has on their students' development. Uh, as you can imagine, that, that sense of independence can be uh, sort of difficult to develop early on, um, but as students become more familiar with it, you do start to see them uh, becoming much more independent uh, and really owning their, their performance in a remote learning environment. And even though you're stretching over different regions and a, a very broad area, and as you said, different cultures, it sounds like to me, you're meeting students where they are in the world of technology. They have those phones and that social media is a big deal. And uh, if you can incorporate such great educational tools in reaching them that way, you're reaching them right where they are. I mean, to, to, I, would, I would guess that their response to this is fantastic. St students love it, yes. Yeah. Uh, we have to spend quite a bit of time around responsible use uh, and around professional use. So there's one mm -hmm. thing to use social media and there's another to use it professionally. Right. Um, so that there really is, you know, they are digital natives, but they're not professional tool natives. And so mm -hmm. we have to help develop and, and really cultivate those skills uh, across our student body. Brian Jodis is our vice president at Parents for Educational Freedom. Brian, do you have some questions for Andrew? Andrew, I got to think uh, when you innovate like this, when you provide this level of service to your students, that's going to penetrate out into the community. And so my question for you is, how are you extending what you're doing deeper into your community? Have you found opportunities to partner with other entities or even other models of schools? Are, are y'all doing that in your area? Are you able to extend just beyond your students based on what you're doing there now? Uh, we have, I'd, I'd say there's the, there's the direct partnership and impact, and there's the indirect effect, sort of mm -hmm. the uh, the uh, catalyst effect, if you will. And so 
Um, directly, we've partnered with schools to offer professional development. Uh, we've conducted site visits wherein other schools come in, learning tours, to, and just learn a little bit about um, how we do school differently at NEAT. And so we, our goal is to continue to grow that. We've always, uh, when, when we open NEAT, we've always tried to be that sort of innovation lab, that testing ground of new, new and different things, mm -hmm. and to share out what we've learned. It doesn't always work. Uh, that's part of what innovation means. Uh, but we have been able to find a number of, of success points that we can share out, and we have. Um, the indirect effect, I think, right now especially, uh, is immediately apparent. I think if you go back and and you were to search just the term remote learning protocol or remote learning prior to 2016, I don't know that, that you'll find it. And now it's everywhere. Um, you know, we're, we're very proud of that. That's something that we feel we really have pioneered here when you look at the mm -hmm. complete ecosystem. There was online learning before. There's been virtual learning. A lot of the tools have been used, but not in the way that we've really pieced them together to try to simulate the real world of work for students. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's everywhere right now. So um, we've seen definitely, as a result of the work we've done, other districts also trying to implement similar initiatives, uh, learning from some, from some of our lessons. And, and we're proud of that, and we're happy to partner with other, other districts on um, you know, future projects. Well, it's a great spirit. It's a North Carolina spirit. It's the American spirit, the innovation during uh, challenging times and uh, still making the difference in the lives of young people and their families. And uh, Andrew, we just uh, we just cheer you and uh, just say thank you mm -hmm. for what you're doing and uh, just want to encourage you to, uh, to continue. I know it's tough. I know it's tough on your teachers at, and so forth, but uh, uh, with your leadership, I can just see this uh, growing and, and really making a, a great difference in the lives of uh, students. Any other uh, story, any other thing you'd like to share with us about as far as our current situation? I mean, you've covered a lot, and uh, uh, but is there anything else that maybe we've left out that you'd like to share with us? Well, I think one of the, the many advantages of public charter schools, um, when we, we look at it from a governance standpoint, is you know we we have a combination of factors here at NEAT that have really enabled this. We have a board who is very highly committed to our mission, to our vision. Um, they are uh, very supportive of innovation. Um, they understand the need to really catalyze innovation, and that it it uh, it requires um, uh, flexibility from the board governance standpoint as well. And um, without our board support, without the flexibility they have allowed us, um, and without their sort of uh, careful guidance, but also um, an acknowledgement of the role of a board versus the role of, say, a school leader, a, a, a teacher, what have you, mm -hmm. um, it has been absolutely vital. It's created the conditions that really are necessary for this type of learning uh, innovation to happen. And so, um, uh, you know, they're, they're good boards, they're, they're not so good boards, but I think when we look at charter school boards, we definitely see a very high level of commitment and a high willingness to allow creativity. Um, and that, that's very important. Uh, so, I mean, for all of us, I'd say, you know, we're going to get through this. I mean, this is just the, the next sure. 
hurdle we, we have to jump over and as charter school educators um, every day brings new hurdles and we all jump together and, and make it to the next day so um, mm -hmm. yeah this is just the, the latest and uh, I think at the end of the day when we're when we're through this um, or a crisis if, if you want to call it that we're going to see education reshaped fundamentally reshaped and uh, mm -hmm. for that I'm very thankful and, and, uh, and that's a good thing uh, we're not saying we eliminate, you know, a, a, a certain education system or anything like that. We just simply want to improve it. Uh, we, you know, as, as technology grows, we grow uh, as parents, you know, particularly millennial parents who are now uh, uh, having children reaching the school age years. And you, you look at their phones and look at how many apps are on those phones. That's choice. That they're looking and they're choosing what works best for them. And I believe they're going to want to do the same thing for in their, uh, the education of their children and what kind of school will work best for them. And so we applaud what you're doing. You're, you're the perfect definition of what I believe a public charter school was, was intended to be. And so anything that we at Parents for Educational Freedom in North Carolina can do to help you uh, and to help your parents and others uh, learn more about what you do there at Northeast Academy, uh, please feel free to let us know. Northeast Academy, Elizabeth City, this is Andrew Harris, the leader there. We appreciate your time with us today. I'm Mike Long, president of Parents for Educational Freedom in North Carolina. If any of you would like more information on our organization, it is P-E-F-N-C. Org. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you.